0: Government's a really big business and, of course, what works in one department may not work in another. The hallmark of a great communicator is somebody who asks great
1: questions and is is prepared to put their hand up and say, can you help me understand what this means?
2: At the heart of it, it's all about stories and, you know, journalism, you're telling a story and in policy you are, I guess, shaping that story.
3: Story Storytelling such that objectives, business objectives can be uh, achieved. I think big okay.
4: hooners don't need a lot of convincing once they can see the benefits.
2: Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello,
3: and welcome everyone to a GovComs podcast with a difference. I even made it into the titles. Did you notice that? Yes, it's a bit different, but not completely different. After more than 280 episodes and counting, we felt it was time to do a bit of a mega mix, a highlight reel of sorts. So instead of the usual one-on-one conversation, this time we're spreading our wings a bit, revisiting and reassessing some of my past conversations. In content terms, we call it repurposing, but remains content with a purpose. Good content rarely tires. And in this episode, we're putting some of the best podcasts back to work. Answer me this. I'll be I'll be government department. I've just run GovComs Group, and I've got you on the end of the phone, and we've made yep. a time, and now you've walked in the door, and I'm saying I got a problem. I know I need to update. I know I need to become more citizen focused. How how do I do this? Well, I- and answering is Alan Probert of GovComs.
0: So I have a ready answer. The flippant one is, well, it depends. But the the better version of it depends is what does success look like? But I do find that too often people are embarking mm-hmm. on campaigns because of the technology or because of, you know, the, 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 we've got a website, we don't know what to do with it. I find that the first thing that I can do to help a department is to say, give me an idea about how you'd like the world to look in six months' time. You know, do you want a dashboard on your desk telling you what your customers think? My experience is that 90% of departments don't. Do you want one website that entirely extols your brand proposition of your, of your department and allows you to publish flexibly at any time of day and to respond to people, yes, everybody does. Um, and the thing that's blocking that is that over the last 15 years, and government's no different to anybody else, everybody's launched loads of websites. Uh, I think every state in Australia is now has now admitted that they have you know, more than three or 400 separate URLs, so the first thing is is I do is, is is to say tell me what it is you know that what does success look like in 6 months time and you know it's a bit defeatist but one of the f- first things I do is I remove the obstacles to doing that which are often legacy systems governance models you know the the, the IT team still having the 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 authority about when something gets uploaded or not. Really, some of those things are are the best keys for helping departments, because to be honest, if a department's really clear about what it wants to do, and has uh, and has you know CEO backing towards it, then the application of the technology without making myself redundant is kind of quite straightforward.
3: At the heart of what we talk about on the GovComs podcast is the impact of technology, and how we can harness that technology while maximising one of the oldest technologies known to humanity, which is storytelling. Telling a story and making sure that the audience that you need to reach understands that story.
1: It's that ability that we need to have as communicators to take complex information and just get to the heart of it quickly and be able to express it very, very clearly. <music>
5: Remember this.
3: Many years ago, Neryl East and I sat next to each other on the press benches at the local courthouses in and around Wollongong in New South Wales, Australia. We've both moved on a lot since those times, and I have this podcast, among other many things, and she has a Master of Arts and a PhD in Journalism, and she runs Neryl East Communication. But some things haven't changed for either of us.
5: The fundamental things apply as time goes by.
1: It's all about the audience. And for those who are listening who are professional communicators, that's obvious, but it's not obvious to the rest of the world. You know, I when, some of the people I work with, this is like a, a transformational idea that, oh, my goodness, you know, it's not about just what I want to, um, you know, <laughs> spew out there. It's actually about the person I'm communicating with, where they're at, what their level of understanding is, and taking the message and crafting it from their point of view. It's a basic principle, but, wow, doesn't it make a huge difference difference to the effectiveness of the message do you have any tips on how you
3: can translate that to people or how you can make that a key consideration or perhaps the consideration for people when they are starting to create their content how do you stop them thinking about themselves and their policy and their
1: program or the regulation and start thinking first about the audience Well, you know, there's so much research now. I guess for the analytically-minded who want to see the data, there's plenty of research that shows that actually complexity doesn't make things more credible or or sound more important. It actually kills off people's ability to digest the information, and so the whole point is diluted.
3: Dr Neryl East talking about the basics, basics which have been applied during the time of COVID. I found that out when I exchanged a Doctor of Philosophy for a professor, Professor Mick Cardew Hall, the Vice-Chancellor of Innovation at the Australian National University. What have you learnt, though, about
5: storytelling through this crisis period? What, what is it that you have to do to be successful? First of all, you have to be as transparent and open as you possibly can. Um, There's no point in not being transparent and open, so it's working through getting those messages out to the to the community broadly, as frequently as you can in a practical way. And I think that's been the the key thing, is that we've always tried to communicate, we've always tried to then keep two-way communication, we've always tried to listen to what the community is saying, Mm. and I think that's the biggest. I would say it's the biggest learning, it's the biggest thing we put in place.
3: The ANU's professor Mick Cardew Hall, who has since moved on from that role, and the best of luck to you, Mick, in your future endeavours. He talked about community, and there is no more established community in Australia or the world than Australia's first people. And storytelling is the beating heart of that community. Andrew Babington works in change and communication at ACT Policing, but earlier in his career, he spent
6: time with Indigenous people. How storytelling interacts with um, with history, local history and local culture, and the, how that helps to build up a community spirit. And it's something that I see in organisations as well.
3: It's interesting, isn't it, this you know, engaging with Indigenous communities and, and trying to understand the as you say, the place of storytelling in culture, but also the the pace and the engagement. And, the you know, we're always in such a hurry to get things done and get moving. And it's, yes. and then really when you're dealing in those environments, it's like, oh, hang on, what are you in such a hurry for, mate? Just let's sit and talk and engage and let's find out a little bit more about each other before exactly. we sort of get to the,
6: exactly. know, the action piece. And I find communication as a whole now is quite snackable. Everyone wants... Quick bites of of information, whether it's sort of a five minute news update or a, a tweet or just a post with some small text, and I don't know if that necessarily always tells a, a wholesome a wholesome story. But it's definitely a trend. Well,
3: I, I think it is, but but well, I, I think we're going to find that a lot of that stuff is you know is meaningless really, and because mm. in the great you know uh, tidal wave mm. that sort of we face every day in terms of the content that we engage mm. with. I've, I don't know, my view is that you know you you now have that choice, and you know that sna- it, unless it sits as part of a wider narrative that's mm. consistently d- delivered mm. through multiple channels, it may have a part, but if it's a disconnected piece of nothing, well,
6: it's just going to be the flotsam jetsam that sort of moves
3: past us and is you know should never have been bothered with in the first place.
6: And I think you can get fatigued as well seeing lots of different information in, sort of, for example, when you scroll through Instagram, mm-hmm. you're seeing all sorts of different things that are all tailored for you, but after a while, it just all, sort of all becomes noise. Uh, and what, what I have seen is a big shift towards sort of what we're doing now, which is longer form yeah. um, conversational content <coughs> relevant to whatever the audience yeah. finds interesting. I- well, it,
3: it, that, And that's the point, isn't it? Because the audience is in control now.
6: The audience is
3: now... In control. I'm going to say that one more time. The audience is now in control. It's one of my favourite lines and my favourite concepts, along with that storytelling thing. And I'm not alone either. Tess Salmon runs crisis communications and corporate communications at Western Sydney Airport.
2: Understanding again the audience, you know, being able to look at a piece of policy and pull out the key facts, the things that would resonate you know, with the community and resonate with news uh, rooms and journalists. Um, I think that was part of the process was being able to say, okay, well, there's all this wishy-washy policy here that doesn't mean anything to anyone. It's important for the process. But in terms of communicating the core message of what this policy is going to do, pulling out those facts. And I think having that journalistic background and understanding what it is that, you know, actually makes news really helped with that.
3: Now, Tess Salmon has been one for a story for quite a while.
2: Look, I've always loved storytelling. In fact, my mother would describe me as an ambulance chaser from the time that I was a young child. I would hear sirens and I'd ask her to follow because I was always interested in what was at the other end. And one day, Tess found herself at
3: that other end.
2: I'm now hearing extremely,
1: extremely loud explosions.
3: The ABC reporting at the end of the deadly Martin Place Siege in Sydney in December 2014. For 16 hours, the standoff grabbed global attention and Tess Salmon was well and truly in the room.
1: It's an incredibly fluid and uh, dangerous situation there in Martin Place.
3: She was in her then role as the media spokesperson for the New South Wales Police Minister.
2: In terms of crisis communications, I think I really learnt the importance of going out early, being able to communicate quickly, um, being calm. I think it's so fundamental. People want to know that those in charge um, have got the situation under control, even if it is not yet under control, as we know the lint siege wasn't for some time. But in terms of, you know, their, their risk, they want to know that they, they're, being look, they're being looked after.
3: Quite the story. And Tess will bring us another lesson learned from those difficult days of the Martin Place siege a little later. Risk in government communications comes in many forms. Risk aversion is one of them, and the one which drives many content professionals to distraction. Vanessa Grimm from Sydney Trains knows how humour can cut through when sending a message. She also knows that it's a tricky topic when it gets to two of the most stomach-churning words in the content production lexicon and in the public sector, the approvals process. So when I spoke to her, I went through my answer me this routine. How have you solved that problem? How have you got the approvals process? How have you been able to convince risk-averse executives that the world's not going to end if we take a, uh, a, again, as you say, a more authentic, a more responsive, a more customer-centered, a faster, perhaps more humorous approach to that you know, content, which is obviously the content that works, that connects, that's real.
4: I call it the big kahuna factor. It's having a champion within your organization, within your business at, at a most senior level. In our case it's it's the, the chief executive to have that conversation for me to have that relationship with them where they trust me and um and, and to give your 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 creatives I guess the autonomy to to be themselves and to and to create that content because they often know best and we sometimes we don't let people who know best do their thing.
3: People who know best. Now there's a loaded phrase if ever there was one. When Bridget Glanville exchanged a reporter's microphone for a job with the New South Wales government, she brought with her heaps of experience and smarts. That's why they employed her. But those abilities were at risk of withering on the vine when the drive of a journalist came face-to-face with the B word, bureaucracy.
7: I didn't probably anticipate how long some things can take to get to get up and running um, and how many layers um, of people, particularly in departments, that things often have to go through before um, they will get... To the ministerial office. um, If decisions have to be made quickly, they're certainly made uh, quickly. So, in that sense, and the internal sort of processes and signing off of things, you are obviously new to you. Um, And I think for some people, it wasn't so much a a problem um, for me, but because journalists have a tendency to work particularly reporters, they're largely working on their own or they're working with the cameraman and their editor. Uh, obviously, within the government office, it's it's much more of a, a team approach. So that can be difficult for some people to, to sort of make that, um, that transition.
3: And make it she did. And she did it by doing the thing that's often lost in the world of messaging, content and other malarkey. She listened... And she learned. She got to understand why sometimes there's risk aversion, or pushback, or simply suspicion about those content folk.
7: What people forget that don't have a media background is uh, you, there might be frustration of why won't, why doesn't someone do this? Is a good news story. And, you know, that old adage that there's no such thing as good news, it's purely advertising. Um, That can be uh, how do you get around the fact um, that I know that journalists want a news story and I know that actually I could probably say, oh, you know, the suicide rate, if it had dropped massively, might get reported. But actually if the suicide rate had increased dramatically, it would definitely get reported. So the frustration is how do you get um, around that? And you're not going to change news as news. But so I think it's just a matter of saying, OK, well, within those confines, then what is the news that we can give them?
3: The art of the possible and, with trust and a little faith, that possible can become very productive. And Alan Probit knows that, having worked both in and outside of government. He also knows, jolly good fellow that he is, that there are certain truths that nobody can deny.
0: One of the things that was very similar in working in the private sector to the public sector is, is good time spent on deciding the strategic objectives of the organisation. And you know, the, 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 if the comms plan is aligned to the strategic objectives of the organisation, then the job of the comms person is then to choose the best medium for delivering that in terms of what that content might be or what that that ambition might be. And so the second thing I then look at with my clients, um, which is, again, another one of those kind of hangovers of the modern age, is I talk to them about their governance structures um, for what happens if they're going to embark in any kind of interactive media. um, What happens if somebody makes a comment at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon or indeed in the middle of the night, um, if they're um, inviting open engagement with their uh, with their content. So I'm, I'm, I'm always keen for people to get online, always keen for people to invite, comment, and to, you know, as I always put it, to start a conversation rather than do some market research. Uh, but the first thing I do is I just make sure that the department fully understands that before you take a step into new media, you have to think about how you're going to manage it. But something I find I often come across with with new departments People haven't thought through the fact that actually they can't control what people are going to say.
3: And how do you how do you get over that problem? You know that whole risk averse. We want all the good side, but none of the downside.
0: Well, look, that's often where things grind to a halt. Um, because as a consultant, my only position I can take is to say you need to be forewarned and forearmed on this. Because all of my experience is if you try to pre-moderate content in any kind of media nowadays the number of people contributing will significantly fall and you know you you have to allow open discussion i've got to say my experience in new south wales in the last four or five years is that yeah there's a very very there's a large willingness towards that because people understand that you learn through open discussion and there's less and less fear of what if somebody says something bad because Again, in my experience, people don't. You know, people are kind of grown up about, about forums nowadays. So, um, yeah, what, but what I do, and it's the reason I mention it, is that, is that I always alert people to the worst that could happen before we start, because I definitely don't want to be that person, you know, cleaning up the mess after an unforeseen thing has happened because nobody knew it would happen. And it's a reality that the the world doesn't work from nine till five Australian time. So, you know, you really have to have a plan in place.
3: Alan Probert and his sage words of advice start our APB of content advice of do's and don'ts. Some of the best advice comes from the lived experience. Remember Tess Salmon? She had a life-changing experience as a government media manager during Sydney's Martin Place siege. She learned something about tone and message delivery over those two days, and it stuck with her.
2: When our building was opened up, we had a very, you know, shaky, panicked voice come over the building intercom to say, you know, the building's now open, you can leave. And that instilled so much, you know, fear into everybody. Um, And I think had that message been received by a calm, measured tone, then it would have been a much calmer exodus out of the building. Unexpected
3: events throw up challenges that are best met with a united approach. Andrew Babington's
6: helpful hint is short and sweet. You just don't know what's going to happen on any given day Uh, and people have to be able to help each other out. And
3: valuing your people is, as Dr. Neryl East told us in just the sixth episode of this series, another part of the magic mix.
1: I'm all about building the capability of communication professionals in government. And I've got to say, in in local government, some of these people don't rate themselves very highly. They're kind of, you know, almost put down by other people in the organisation and they get into this almost siege mentality or that they've, you know, they're just kind of drones churning out content. And, you know, i I work with them to say that is totally not the case. You are the reputation leaders in your organisation. You need to be role modelling, best practice, um, Communication leadership because often across the organisation, the others don't know what that looks like.
3: Now, the communicators are the ones who join the bits together. They weave the story, tell the tale. They also can act as a vital link between an institution and potential partners. Professor Mick Cardew Hall of Canberra's ANU knows from his experience that the linking work is how innovative ideas become innovation
5: historically the whole innovation area and doing this effectively business development is a contact sport you know it's you get out there and you just meet people and you network and you uh, you try whatever angles you can it, it's, it's no I mean crudely it's no different to uh, you know selling (laughs) Uh, and so so you just have to build that profile so it's about building the networks Um, so that's at the fundamental level so you need people so then you need people that actually can bridge between the culture which is the university culture and the culture which is the business culture which are very very different the drivers are very different so you have to get the right people to bridge those that can actually then you know do the contact inside and the contact outside and try and build those bridges. Communications can be
7: highfalutin or simply human. Bridget Glanville. I hate emails, to tell you the truth. I really, I find them time consuming. Um, and while I also don't like lots of meetings, um, a quick phone call where you can go bang, 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 often covers off five million things. You might have to follow it up with an email, but really there's a lot of emails that just could be said quickly over the phone. And to cover us
3: off, a very practical tale where those fundamentals of storytelling and knowing your audience were put into practice using the perfect platform and to steer on how that can happen and convince those risk-averse people up the line to embrace opportunity. Both come from Vanessa Grimm
4: we have massive apprentice drives you know for hundreds of apprentices or train drivers those people are, are they're not going through the newspapers or watching the 7 p m news they're on instagram they I mean that we're not we're not at tiktok yet and god forbid we ever get there but you know that is where you find them and if you want the best of the best you're going to have to rethink how we do business so it's just a trust relationship that you have to build and not only provide Value, but demonstrate to the business in, through your analytics um, how the engagement and how that, that that their that their priorities, their strategies are aligned with this, you know, with this new medium. So there you have it,
3: an episode of GovComs with a difference, and a very big thank you to my great friend Andrew Bell who helped put. Those insights together. It's been a great pleasure once again to spend the year creating the GovComs podcast with you. Now, the simple point of it is, it's all about learning, and it's all about learning together. So, I hope that in all the episodes that we've created over the years, that you've picked up one, two, three, four things that are helping you to be more effective. Because if as gov Gov communicators around the world, if we can be better, we can strengthen communities and improve the well being of citizens through effective communication. So, our mission is right, our mission is true. So, let's learn together. And that's also what the GovComs Institute is all about. And I would encourage you to get onto the GovComs Institute. Just Google it and it will come up. Because what it is, is a place where we can also learn together, not just through the podcast. So, please go to the GovComs Institute. Sign up and get involved, which is the most important thing. Thanks again for your time again this year. We'll be back uh, at the same time in the new year with more episodes of the GovComs podcast. But for the moment, it's bye for now.
2: You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.